Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? It is a beautiful morning. Wednesday, we're going to have church tonight, 6.30, if you guys can join us. Online, we'll be on calvarypv.com. Just hit watch live stream. We'll be there about 6.30. So I'm just now getting myself set up here. So let's look at this Dan trivia together. Nope. Let me see. Breakfast at Tiffany's, October 5th, 1961. The American classic comedy is released. That was an interesting movie. First televised U.S. presidential address from the White House was 1947. On this day, Harry Truman. The end of the Dalton Gang, October 5th, 1892. The Dalton brothers, along with their other gang members, are killed in Coyville, Kansas, during an attempted bank robbery. Wow. There's a picture of another lost satellite point. 22.8 million Landsat disappears shortly after launch. Its fourth U.S. satellite lost in two months. Wow. And Jim Baker convicted of fraud. October 5th, 1989. I remember this. Maybe you do. Televangelist and former leader of PTL Club Jim Baker is convicted of fraud and conspiracy. He had defrauded his followers out of $150 million. He would serve four and a half years in prison. And basically, by his own testimony, I don't know if he, say, he would say he got saved in prison, but he certainly got, first time he really read the Bible, he got, I would just say, he got saved in prison. So now he claims that. So hopefully that's true. And... That should be about it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Lots, lots and lots on this date. But Father of the Space Age was born at Goddard, Robert Goddard, October 5th, 1882. The father of the modern age of, of liquid-fueled rocketry. Interesting. All right, let's look over at the dad jokes. See what we have here. Get down to where we left off yesterday. There we are. I think I think I'm up to where I was yesterday. Who are the greenest presidents in US history? The Bushes. Ah, that was bad. Mm, how about my hotel tried to charge me ten dollars extra for air conditioning? That wasn't cool. What do you call a beehive without an exit? Unbelievable. Believable. That's clever, actually. I like that one. All right. Let's move on to the reading for today. And we will get into Second Chronicles 32. Father God, thank you for this morning. And we pray for your guidance and direction as we get dive into your word, God. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. 
after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them himself. Now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs and the stream which flowed through the region, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down and erected towers on it, and built another outside the wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David, and made weapons and shields in great number. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to him in the square at the city gate and spoke courageously to them, saying, Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Assyria, nor because of the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. Sennacherib undermined Hezekiah. Verse 9. After Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem while he was besieging Lachish, with all his forces with him against Hezekiah the king of Judah and against all Judah who were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away the high places and his altars and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before one altar, and it shall, and uh, on it you shall burn incense. Do you not know that I and my fathers have done what we have done to all the peoples of the lands? Where were the gods of the nations of the lands able at all to deliver the land from my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations which my fathers utterly destroyed, whom could deliver his people out of my hand? that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this, and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? His servant spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. They called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem, who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them so that they might take the city. They spoke of the God of Jerusalem as the God's of the peoples of the earth, the work of men's hands. Verse 20. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet and the son of Amos prayed about this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, 
the king of Assyria, from the hand of, of all others, and guided them on every side. And many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem, and choice presents to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received, because his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came on him, and on Judah, and on Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and his habit, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah had immense riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries of silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable gifts. Storehouses also of the produce of the grain, wine, oil, pens of all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds and flocks. And he made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him a very great wealth. It was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of the Gihon and directed them to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all that he did, even in the matter of the envoys and the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land. God left him alone only to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his deeds of devotion, behold, they are written in the, in the version of Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. So Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper section of the tombs of the sons of David, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him as at his death, and the sons of Manasseh. And his son, Manasseh, became king in his place. Chapter 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and also the Asherim and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon. And he practiced witchcraft and divination, practiced sorcery and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he put the carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon's son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land of which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe to do all that I have commanded according to all the law, the statutes, the ordinances given through Moses. Then Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the kings of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. 
When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now after this, he built the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of the, of the Gihon in the valley, even to the entrance of the fish gate, and he encircled Orphel with it and made, a, made it very high. And when he had put army commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah, he also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord of Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high places, although only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, even his prayer to God and the words of the seers which spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are among the records of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated by him, and all his sin, his unfaithfulness, and the sites on which he built high places and erected the Asherim and the carved images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the records of Hosea. So Manasseh slept with his father, and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon, his son, became king in his place. Ammon became king of Judah. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. And Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, but Ammon multiplied guilt. Finally, his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. But the people of the land killed all the conspirators against Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. So we'll stop there and look at those two chapters. This is a repeat. We've already read this. It's um, interesting how if you can't defeat a believer in God overtly, you try and defeat them covertly. Assyria was coming against Judah to try and defeat them, obviously, militarily. And was very proud and thought this no problem. We've defeated all the other nations with all their false gods. We're gonna they viewed Yahweh as a false god or just another little god. Probably believed that he had power, but he was just a little god compared to their great god. And uh, and they were going to stomp on them, but then God came and overwhelmed them. One angel, hundred and eighty three thousand soldiers, complete wipeout of their army. No display of power militarily like this had ever been seen. And so all the other nations were like, wow. How did Judah, that little nation, overcome Assyria and kill all their soldiers in one battle, one night? So obviously they had a great reputation. They had a great honor brought to them by the other nations. But covertly, on the spiritual level, the enemy was always working from within what he does in the church. He was working on his son. His demons were coming at the walls of his the, his son's heart and taunting his son and saying, you can't trust in Yahweh. Yahweh can't do anything for you. Come over to our side. It's more fun or whatever. 
you know, whatever they he they would do. And they're always enticing the flesh, of course. So Manasseh, when his father dies, does exactly what Assyria was trying to accomplish militarily, in a sense, to bring them over to their gods and to their and to be obedient to their gods. I'm sure they would have liked the power and the wealth physically, but but they are servants to their own gods. And so they do win, in a sense, under Manasseh for a while because of Manasseh completely going against Yahweh and becoming worse than the Assyrians and doing all the abominable things that God had pronounced judgment on Canaan for. But fortunately, for Manasseh anyway, after he's captured and he's humbled and has everything taken away, he finally realizes who God is. Now, why he didn't realize after one angel wipes out 183,000 men, that I'll never know. Was he too young? Was he, how, how, do you, how do you disavow that? The power of your God killing the entire army in one night with one angel. But somehow he did, and it was in his distress, personal distress. See, it wasn't personal for him then. It was personal distress that he's captured that he realized it's who, who God said. God hears his, his plea, and he releases him. It's amazing. And he seems to end his life well. He's following the Lord. But again, the enemy was working at the, at the walls and the gates of his son's heart. And... Uh, that battle was being lost. So now his son reigns for two years and is killed because he's so evil. His own evil people can't even handle him. But then, then finally Josiah is born. I believe it's Josiah. Um, and he's, and he's going to be a good king. And it's just intriguing how this all works out in the Old Testament. Nahum chapter 1. The Oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way. And clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him, and hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end to its sight. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. Whatever you devise against the Lord, he will make a complete end to it. Distress will not rise up twice. Like tangled thorns, and like those who are drunken in their drink, they are consumed, as stubble completely withered. From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, and likewise many, even so they will be cut off and pass away. 
Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you, and I will tear off your shackles. The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of your God. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of whom brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feasts of Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. I have some great quotes there in Nahum. Um, the great quotes that we use in the New Testament and the understanding that they're the God of of Judah is unassailable. Uh, he he is the the victor over all those who come against it. Nineveh, um, all of these different countries that had come against Judah, and God had given many opportunities. Of course, we know with Judah, they, I mean, with Nineveh, they were given the opportunity to repent. They did for a while, but then they negated. They they went back to their wicked ways. And so eventually those who will not humble themselves and yield lordship to Jesus do get judged. And this is what's happening. See, there, there are many people that cry out and plead for forgiveness. We'll be, I think we'll be covering this tonight, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, that ask for God for forgiveness because they're in a pinch. And they say, please forgive me. I'm a horrible person. And then God often does do something, maybe out of his mercy, Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But if he does, the people say thank you, and then they go right back to living the way they were. The whole crisis Christianity thing. I'm in a crisis, I need you, God. Help me out, and I'll serve you, and I'll give my whole life to you. And then he does something, or the situation works out for your benefit, and you turn around and go back to the way your life was. That is when you better be watching out for the for the justice of God, for God's judgment to come upon you. Nineveh went back to its old ways after God had given them his mercy, and they become judged for it. God is a God of justice. He is a compassionate God, but he is a God of justice. And this is what we learn over and over and over again. You don't abuse the, the Lord's mercy and power. You don't uh, test him. You don't try and use him. I need you in a crisis, God. Now I'm done with you. Goodbye. Uh, that doesn't work. And unfortunately, way too many people still do that. Acts 24 now. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders with an attorney named Tertullius. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out in this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not worry you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. He is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, and he even tried to desecrate the temple 
and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you'll be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been judged to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, neither in the temple, nor in the synagogue, nor in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot? Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call the sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Now, after seven years, I came to bring alms to my nation to present offerings, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were some Jews of Asia, who ought have been present before you, and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council, other than this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them. For the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion, for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Pontius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So there you go, Paul, two years in jail in Caesarea, which Renan and I have been there on the coast to see it. Actually, a very beautiful place. But where Paul was being kept, I'm sure, was not that nice. But at least he had people ministering to him there. And there Paul, and now those two years, although it wasn't his plan to be kept there for two years, there you know he has now a lot of time to begin thinking. And um, I want to say writing. I want to say if he wrote, I, boy, I don't remember if he wrote Ephesus from there or not, but he is going to be developing by the Holy Spirit theology and he's going to be conversing with some of the most powerful men in the world at that time giving them the knowledge of 
forgiveness and mercy through the God of, of heaven to the Gentile world. And it's staggering to think that he's, he is their prisoner, and yet he knows they're the ones imprisoned. He really did. Paul was that, that disconnected from counting his own life precious. He knew what was ahead. He had already seen heaven. He had already been stoned to death, in many people's opinion and reanimated, brought back to life. He had gone out of the body, or <laughs> in the body, who knows, he says, and seen heaven. So his sights were on that, and he had already seen Jesus, had appeared to him, talked to him, in a very, 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 very personal relationship with him. And so as he's kept there, he's not one that to lament his imprisonment, what he lamented was the bondage that these men were under and the Jews were under. And every day he had that burden. He says he had that burden of, of, of what was going on in the world and the burden of his brother and the Jews under the, all imprisoned. None of the wealth, none of the power of the Roman world could impress him because he knew the power and the wealth of his God and his king. And so this is, gave him a position of power and authority. This is why he was always sent for and always wanted always granted an audience these these men were intrigued by him and obviously found him very very thought-provoking and they knew that what he was saying was true that's why this that one uh, leader fell into fear and so this is um the, the great advantage of the gospel that god can rise you rise you up raise you up before great leaders people that um, you wouldn't normally rub shoulders with her, but God can use you in the most unusual way to share the gospel to people. Uh, one of my friends, when we were in Santa Fe, believer, um, was worked at the airport where all these famous people used to fly their little jets in and airplanes in and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, I was working in the hangar and I didn't know that John Denver had flown his plane in and was landed there and was fueling up or whatever, and I don't know what he was doing, where he was going, but my friend, who was quite the evangelist, saw him go into the bathroom and followed him in there. <laughs> now, I wouldn't have done it in the bathroom, but he goes in there and introduces himself to him and he says, John, I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you, man, and you need to know him. You know, and I, you need to know that God has a plan for your life and, 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 and he really loves you. And John was like, well, okay, yeah, thank you very much. Mm -hmm, okay. And didn't give it a whole lot of thought, but, and guess what happened to John Denver? He died. It, a year later, in his plane crash, but th this friend of mine knew that, that John, he may have been rich and famous and powerful in you know, his world, but, um, but he was empty, and he needed the Lord. And so this is, this is the amazing thing, that what God can do in your life, and maybe God used that. John Denver's life. Who knows? Charles Spurgeon at God's bidding, and a remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, as the dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass, that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. Micah 5 7. If this be true of the literal Israel, much more is true of the spiritual Israel, the believing people of God. 
when saints are what they should be, they are an incalculable blessing to those whom they are scattered. They are as the dew, for in a quiet, unobtrusive manner they refresh those around them. Silently but effectually they minister to the life, growth, and joy of those who dwell with them. Coming fresh from heaven, glistening like a diamond in the sun, gracious men and women attend to the feeble and insignificant till each blade of grass has its own drop of dew. Little as individuals they are, when united, all sufficient for the purpose of love which the Lord fulfills through them. Dewdrops accomplish the refreshing of broad acres. Lord, make us like the dew. Godly people as the showers which come at God's bidding without men's leave and license. They work for God whether men desire it or not. They no more ask human permission than the rain does. Lord, make us thus boldly prompt and free in thy service whenever our lot is cast. <laughs> Boy, I'd love to write like him. Well, we, I'll just say then we're a bunch of little dewdrops. And maybe that's, we can, hey, do. Hey, do. Hey, do drop. Let's let the Lord use us to bring refreshment upon the dryness of the world. The dryness of those that are crying out for the, for the living water. And each one of us having just the right amount to be able to share. And to effectually lay on those dry blades of grass. Those people around us that need it so that they can come to life. It's a really nice, it's a beautiful imagery, and it's so um, unobtrusive, like he says. It's not a torrent, it's not a storm, it just refreshes in the morning. It brings upon refreshment and, and coolness and life, and that is exactly how we want to be as believers in the church operating in this world not noticed so much, but very much needed and very much appreciated. And very much bringing a greenery and a life to this dry and, and very parched world. So, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for guiding us in, in through your word and giving us those insights, beautiful insights of how we desire to be, that we would bring that freshness upon the world. But that you would make us bold as Paul and that you would, God, help us to understand the days we live in and that the enemy is always attacking on the two fronts the physical and the spiritual and god we do pray for our kids you protect them our kids our grandkids and we be very aware god of what's going on in them and we be able to be the fresh dew for them and bring in the freshness and the sweetness and the real reality of your word so that they can meet you and know you personally that they not experience the religion of our fathers and the ritual or the dryness that so many of us experienced as kids, but they experienced the reality. So thank you for that. And thank you for blessing uh, Juan Carlos now, who looks great, who's getting his healing, going into this third day of radiation. God, thank you, was able to eat yesterday and sit up and, and, even, and even get up and walk. It's a blessing to hear that, God. We're blessed. Anytime we hear that people are, are being healed and cured and we do pray for your constant healing on those which are dealing with a lot of serious issues and illnesses so bless them father bless the service this evening 
the ministry God that we have through the internet, through the radio, through through these um, social media platforms. May your word continue to go out strong, and may it go out strong today as we meet together and worship you and share in the word together. Thank you for the the men's Bible study that got started last night. That it's happening. Um, and through uh, Jesse, and just bless that God, bless everyone coming to that. May you just be glorified in all all that happens there, and as well as the mission. So, we give this the rest of this day to you, God, to God for your guidance and for our direction. In Jesus' name, Amen. That'll do it, guys. Thank you. We will see you hopefully tonight if you can join us six thirty. Again, you know what to do. CalvaryPV.com. Just hit watch live. It should work. If it doesn't, <laughs> let me know immediately. See you then. Bye-bye.